All right, Father Ryan, hi. Welcome, I have a question here for you. Didn't the Catholic Church send us into the Dark Ages? Didn't the Church teach that the Earth was flat? What about Galileo? Intelligent design. Um, Is it, though? <laughs> What's the scientific evidence for a soul? Again, what is that? Have you looked under a microscope and seen a soul? Did you know lots of scientists are atheists? You're being mean. <laughs> it is still January. No, it's not. It's February. But we're still in the theme of you can't love what you don't know. And so if you participated in our book giveaway a couple weeks ago, you may have picked up this book, Faith and Science. Hundreds of you did. And we have for you just one question that Father Ryan really liked in this book, and he's going to share that question and sort of what he learned from it. But this is part of an encouragement for you to get into this book if you haven't yet. It is thin. Yeah, that's the, short. that's the first thing I want to say. It's a total of, I believe, yeah, 58 pages. And page 59 is about the author. So no one reads that anyways. So 58 pages, and they're all very thin, very short, easy pages. It doesn't mean the topic's easy. So if you read this, you thought, whoa, I'm not used to thinking this way. That's understandable. But uh, of all the questions, which are 20, there's 20 answers. Uh, number seven is the one that I thought would be good to talk about just to help us go a little deeper. And the question is, why can't I just have faith in science as the way to understand the world? All right. And so faith in science, faith in science. But really what he means is why, why can't I just, why isn't science alone enough? Like, why do we have to have this debate? Why do we have to, fine. Okay. I keep feeling maybe persecuted by a friend or maybe a, a professor or maybe my son or daughter or grandkid is like challenging my faith with science. Like, can't I just make nice and just be like, fine, let's just believe science will be fine. Like, isn't that science enough? That's really the question. It's reliable. Yeah. I mean, so... I had a headache the other day, right? What did I do? I took Advil. Why? Well, because science has discovered a way by which you can alleviate headaches, right? That's a great thing. We love medicine. Right? These are all very good things. Science is wonderful, but it's limited. And there's more things in our lives that give us joy and meaning and peace than simply the scientific parts of life. So we need both science, faith, other elements like art and music and poetry and history. We need all sorts of fields of knowledge and experience to be fully alive. Yeah, that makes life beautiful. Full, full. Like yeah, exactly. More so interesting. The guy who wrote this. Analytical and laboratory. Yeah, you know the guy who wrote this, I think. Don't you know Trent Horn? I've never met him, but I've read him and listened to him for years. Ah, you know him. Let's just say you know him. All right. Tight. You and Trent go back many years. Yeah, um, I read the About the Author page. You did? So, no, no one reads it. Yeah, I didn't you think so. <laughs> no one reads it. Okay. But his name's Trent. All right. And uh, he says this about science, which is really, really helpful, I think, is uh, the science also relies on assumptions that the world operates certain ways. Now, that may sound like, Okay, what's the big deal? Well, science means that in order for something to be scientifically understood, the thing has to be knowable. Or you can think back to middle school or high school. You learn the scientific method. You have a hypothesis. You set up a way of testing it. You run through these tests. It either checks out or it doesn't. And it's a very safe, calm, organized way to move from unknowing to knowing. But there's several things that that process presupposes. Like it presumes that the thing you're looking at can be known. Mm -hmm. 
And it also presumes that we're the kind of creature that can know things. But science itself doesn't deal with that world of assumptions. It just deals with, all right, yeah, things can be known and we can know them. So now let's figure out how everything works. It's important to know how things work. But there's other parts of life that are just as important, if not at times more important. What does it mean to be human? Well, part of it is I'm a knower. I can know how things work. What is all of creation all about? Well, it's created intelligible, meaning it can be known. Or Pope Benedict one time said to be recognized, recognized, so it can be thought of again. It was first thought into existence by God, and now I'm thinking about it again to understand what it is, how it works. And so in one little sentence, we have the answer so clearly that why can't I just have science for everything? There's parts of life that doesn't don't fit within the method of science that we actually experience. So science doesn't even explain all of our experience then as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like love and our yearning for justice and our appreciation of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. There's one, there's an example of someone told me one time that I thought it's my go-to when I discuss with college students and things. A lot of students will come back right on a, on like a Christmas break or something like that. They've been to college for a while. Now they have all new questions and questions are really, really good. The Catholic church loves questions. We are not afraid of them. And so if your kid or grandkid or friend or whatever is asking questions, say, thank you. We love questions. They're really good. But the best one for science for me is a scientist can go into the Sistine Chapel and do all sorts of tests to tell me how old the paint is. What is the chemical makeup to get that blue or that green? And it can actually replicate it so that art restoration can can happen to keep it viv- uh, alive. So art and science can work together. But science can never tell me it's the last judgment. Science can never tell me the meaning of the painting. Similarly, we can find the an old... The last judgment, you mean the actual painting? The actual the painting. judgment by Michelangelo. By Michelangelo. Walk into the Sistine Chapel. Science doesn't tell me what this is a painting of and what the meaning that's conveyed in it. Science can just break it down and tell me things, which is useful because under St. John Paul II, he restored the Sistine Chapel to be back to its original colors and things. So that was needed. We needed to use science to help us. Another great example is you find a book, all right? It's an old book. Who doesn't like an old book? <laughs> smells a, old bookish. Smell, and the, the pages are yellow of mm, many people reading this yum. book. All right. And you and you can run tests to find out, oh, what was it made out of? And you can find out how old it might have been based on the kind of paper and the date the date on it, and maybe the stains. There's an old coffee stain, and you realize, oh man, that was the original recipe of Maxwell House. I don't know. But you know, you find out what, what age it is. And it's all wonderful. But what science can't do is tell you what the words on the page are conveying. Yeah, the meaning. The meaning. That doesn't need, that is outside the scientific method. It can't tell me Romeo and Juliet was a tragic love story. It can't tell me Hamlet's about betrayal. It can't tell me the words of scripture. Yeah. Right? Because there's other parts of life like meaning that just don't fit within it. But once again, there are questions that we also have very sincere. How old is this book? How do we replicate the Sistine Chapel that we need science for? And so it's never an either or. They're not meant to be combative. They're meant to bless each other and complement each other so that the fullness of the human experience can happen for all of us 
And in this book, it gives us a good step forward in like, what, 57 pages? Yeah, yeah. You could read this in one night easy. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And there was something else in the near the end of the book that you wanted to bring up about just this great tradition oh, yeah. that we have in our church and in Christianity of people who were brilliant, who yearned for the truth, who sought the truth, and... Um, made great advancements in science. Yeah. You know, when you go into a college campus, usually the theology department and the science department are very different buildings. They're not the same building, right? But in our history, a lot of uh, the greatest scientists that ever lived were also theologians or devout uh, believers. And so they do exist in a person. And it gives a bunch of examples. Albert the Great, who is known for cataloging plants and animals. He's Saint Albert the Great. A Franciscan friar, Roger Bacon. All right, I'm just going to say yeah, the names. Yeah, Albert the Great like write the world's first encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah, the first encyclopedia on all the animals, plants, histories. Hmm. Um, Nicholas Copernicus. Have you ever heard that name? All right, I don't know if you've heard of these names. Mendel, right? The laws of inheritance and things, as well as uh, I never say his name right, but George Lemaitre. Did I do it? Do you know? I don't think so. He he's not here to correct me. <laughs> uh, so, but he's the father of the Big Bang. The point is on pages 57 and 58, Trent Horn names about five or six uh, people in our tradition who are both devout believers, have degrees in canon law, theology, are praying, celebrating the sacraments, learning to forgive their neighbor, and deeply committed to the scientific enterprise. And it just helps us to say, wait a minute, when we feel the pushback, when we feel people doubting and questioning our faith, we can say, wait a minute, I can point to actual historical people that were able to work these out. So maybe in this moment, I'm insecure. I don't have the knowledge right at hand. That's okay. That's a very human experience being insecure. But it means I can probably find it out and we can find a way that this works together so science and faith can build off of each other. And so you can't love what you don't know. The idea is that we can love our faith more the more we know how science and faith complement and go together. Yeah. Yeah. To believe that faith and science contradict, it's it's really shallow idea. You know, mm -hmm. it's more like bumper sticker slogans. What? Yeah. Um, some of those other specific questions that I was uh, attacking you with at yeah. the beginning. Attack's a good word. Those, <laughs> you, you felt attacked. Those are also covered in this book about Galileo, intelligent design, God of the gaps, uh, scientific evidence for the soul. So there's a lot of specifics that uh, are answered in this little package. But we just want to do this video to show you a little taste of what's in this particular book. And if you didn't get this book or any of them, you can order them at shop.catholic.com. They're all really reasonable, like less than $4. Yeah. And I just want to say, I'm, for those of you who read it, very proud of you. And if you tried to read it, you're like, I, I just couldn't do this. Still really proud of you. You can say the year 2022, you begin trying to grow in your faith. You put effort and time set aside to grow in your faith. And that's a wonderful thing. So way to go. Lent's around the corner. Keep it up. Yeah. Good job and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.